I used to wear my green vest and I would go to club meetings and I would earn those patches. I took the Girl Scout pledge. On my honor, I will try to serve God and my country to help people at all times and live by the Girl Scout law. Has anyone else ever taken the Girl Scout pledge out there or maybe a Boy Scout pledge? Being part of a a group when you are younger like that, we all rallied together as a troop. We did activities together. We served together. Um, We had so much fun together until it was time to sell Girl Scout cookies. Then it was every girl for herself. Look out. I mean, I'm talking Thin Mints, Samoas, um, shortbread cookies, Tagalogs. What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Oh, Thin Mints. Okay, I heard that one. Girl Scout cookie time always seems to come at a time when we're all about ready to break our New Year's resolutions, right? It's a genius marketing scheme that Girl Scouts have come up with. So we would go door to door and we would sell these cookies. We would hit our parents up to sell these cookies. Who could win the prize? Who wants a few boxes? Heck, who wants a case of cookies, right? So we had this wonderful unity as a troop, and then the competition would come, and that would trump the unity of our team. Now, when I was in junior high, I joined the band. Don't tell John Burroughs, where is he? Don't tell him that I used to join the band. We played band. We came together, and we tried to make music together. We tried to harmonize together, although I think it was quite debated by a lot of people. We did attempt this, and my band director, he was awesome. He, was, he, he would get so frustrated with us, and he had this stool that when he got frustrated on, he would spin completely around it, and he would be like, oh, and he would take his pencil. He always had a pencil with him, and he would throw it up into the ceiling, and our ceiling was those, like, sticky ceilings that that a pencil would stick in it. So you'd go into our band room and it would be like littered with pencils all over the ceiling because our band instructor would get so frustrated with us. But we would come together every day for band. We would practice. We would work together as a group. We would prepare to play this music together and we worked together in unity until it was challenge day in practice. Now, challenge day was the day that you would come into band practice and you had prepared a piece of music and you would challenge someone else up the row because you wanted to try and move higher up so that you could get closer to first chair. So my best friend was first chair and I was second chair, which was usually awesome until challenge day, because all of the unity of the band, again, completely went out the window when competition came into play. Now, when I was in high school, I joined our volleyball team, and we worked together as a team. We practiced together. We exercised together. We sweated together. We competed together. We drove the bus together. We celebrated our victories. We were depressed with our losses. We were motivated to work together in unity as a team. Till some of our team members got caught partying and had to be removed from playing some of the important games. And all of a sudden, our unity was fractured, and there was division and anger and frustration in our team. Our unity was broken. Unity is so fragile, isn't it? 
How about you? Have you ever been part of a group, um, maybe an organization? Anybody ever be part of a sports team? Or maybe you've been um, part of a music group, part of a club. Maybe you still are maybe involved in something like Rotary or Kiwanis. Any kind of club or organization that has a common mission, vision, purpose that you work towards together, that brings you together, that you rally around a cause, you have unity together. There's something so satisfying about being part of a group. It makes us feel like we belong. It makes us feel like we are stronger together, that we are better together when we are unified with a vision, mission, cause, a group that can come together and be unified around something. We have friendships that are born. Collaboration happens. And there's just this strength that comes with it. Now, during the Olympics, this is something that we all rally around, right? As you watch the Olympics, we cheer for our team. We wave our team colors. We support them. We cheer for them. When it's their turn, we hold our breath as they compete because not only are they competing for themselves, not only are they competing for their nation, not only are they competing out there against the entire world, they're competing for us, right? It is us up there. We are going to win the gold, we rally around our team. Sports are something that are so powerful to rally people together. I mean, 100,000 people can show up to rally around a team. They wear their team colors. They sing the songs. They have the, the fight song down. I mean, they are ready to go. You know the players. You know the coaches. You know the odds of winning. You know the team history. My grandma... She loved the Detroit Tigers. She knew everything about the Detroit Tigers. She watched them faithfully. She loved the Detroit Tigers so much. Whoever was their star player of the season, she always called them her boyfriend. Did you see my boyfriend play, Lisa? Oh, my boyfriend did such a good job out there. She was invested in the Detroit Tigers. You know, this is the way it is, right? When we've got our team, we wear the shirt, we wear the hat, and you're walking down the street and you see someone else wearing your team colors, your team hat, your team shirt. You like high five, you fist bump, you're like, yes, these are my people. We are united in what we believe, what we fight for, what we rally around. Unity is so powerful and so motivating. It is something that really helps us to fight loneliness, Right? When we're out there as a lone ranger, it's kind of just us. But when we rally together in unity, we become stronger together until it all falls apart, until unity separates us. And once again, we feel lonely because a decision was made that doesn't sit well with us. Someone said something that hurt our feelings or we're not quite feeling in line with what everybody else is doing. All of a sudden, we are not on the same page. Unity is something that is so fragile. It's kind of like a, a teeter-totter, right? As long as the balance is working, we're all good. When I was about five years old, my older sister and I ran ahead of my parents, and we were at a, a beach in front of Lake Michigan, and it was one of those old metal teeter-totters. And we jumped on, and we were having so much fun. She went up, I went down, I went up, she went down. We were doing this great thing until she was at the top, and she decided to jump off the teeter-totter and not tell me. 
She jumped off that teeter-totter, and I came flying down. I hit my face right on the metal bar of that teeter-totter, and blood went everywhere. My teeth went in all different directions, and it was a very painful and memorable reminder that that balance of a teeter-totter, that unity that you have to have while you're on that teeter-totter, is so fragile. And once that balance is disrupted there can be a very painful result. One minute we're at harmony with people, fiercely committed to each other, and the next moment we can be fractured. And the people that we once stood shoulder to shoulder with were ducking around and and not wanting to talk with or interact with. Have you ever been there? Have you been part of a unified group and now you're being pierced with pain because of some kind of separation that that unity has been broken. And it really does us no good to pretend that we are not prone to dissension. I mean, just as people kind of flock together in unity, we also are very inclined to implode unity. It's in our nature. It's part of who we are. And even in the Bible, we see godly, Christ-loving, Jesus-centered people that struggled with unity. Paul and Barnabas were two godly leaders of the early church, and they too were unified in vision and mission until they weren't. And they had an argument about who they were going to travel with, and it split them apart. They went their separate ways. And you know, when you're disunified, it's really hard just to slap a smile on your face, sing kumbaya, and believe that everything is okay. It's not always possible to be unified with everyone in every situation. And in fact, sometimes there is really good reasons to separate from or be apart from or stand up for a situation where you you should not go along with the crowd. But here's the thing. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, there is a calling on our lives to fight for to work for, to rally around unity. Let's look at this verse in Romans 12, 18. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you and what you can do, live at peace with the people you like. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. Live at peace with who? Everyone. That is a big calling. Now, Paul, who was a leader in the early church, he advocated for the church to pull together and be unified. And as Paul was so bent on this mission for the early followers of Jesus, it was important. It was even central to the survival of the church. Because if Christian, Christ-following, Jesus-loving, saved and redeemed people by the blood of Jesus could not get together, the church would not survive. The church would fall apart. The Christian movement would not happen. For generation after generation after generation, we as the church of Jesus have been tasked with the mission of unity so that the name of Jesus can go forth, that the outside world listening can see that Jesus makes a difference when we are following him. 
Now, we're going to jump into Philippians 2 today. We're in the middle of a study of Philippians, and we're going to hear from Paul as he pleads with the church. He says, don't buy into the selfish lie. God wants us to unify. Don't buy into the selfish lie that's out there, that it's just what you think, what you believe, what you want to do. God is going to call us to unify. Okay, so let's dive in here. Um, the first verse of Philippians 2.1. Therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ. Okay, so he starts up setting this, this section of the, of the verse, the chapter up, saying, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus, if you have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, if you have yielded your life to his leadership, you have been united with Jesus. You've made a, a decision to surrender some of yourself and to, to form your life around who Jesus is, his teachings, his beliefs. You've adopted it. You've proclaimed it to be central and important in your life. You cheer for his team. You wear his colors. You sing the fight song. You rally with his people. You high five and, high five and fist bump his people. Paul says, this isn't, should be an encouraging part of your life. You have been encouraged because you have found a sense of identity. You've found a team. You've found a sense of belonging. You are on Team Jesus. And if you have this sense of belonging, of being known, Paul's going to go on to say, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Paul has this big, hairy, audacious idea about joy. He connects joy with being like-minded. He connects joy with unity. Now that is unexpected. Now, you know joy, right? Do you know this word joy? Do you know what joy is? Joy, jubilation, exultation, um, moments that bring you tears of joy. Joy, joy that goes deep to your toes. Joy that bubbles over in your soul. Joy that runs forth from your spirit. Joy is peace dancing. Joy is a cartwheel in your spirit. Joy is something that is big and bubbles over. It is contagious. It is healing. It is hope. It is light. Joy is something that comes from Jesus. Joy is amazing. Joy is something that is a gift from God. It is this rare and precious emotion that God gives us to help us cope with a difficult world that is full of sin and conflict and separation. And God gives us this promise, this idea, this hope that there is joy that is connected with like-mindedness, with unity. That's unexpected, isn't it? That when we're unified, we will find joy. That this, this treasure of joy, something that's so wonderful, something that's so precious, something that I want to experience, don't you? Don't you want to have joy in your life? That if we want to experience that joy, Paul says that there's this, this connection in this fragile, delicate, vulnerable thing called unity. Unity is where there is joy. That means that unity is worth thinking about. 
It is worth talking about. It is worth fighting for. It is worth embracing and holding on to. Do you know that unity is something that Jesus prayed for? Jesus prayed for you and for I. Jesus prayed for the church to have unity. Look at this prayer from John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed that his followers would unify. Unity was important to the heart of Jesus. And when we look at this prayer of Jesus, there was some really big things connected to this idea of unity in the church. Jesus said that when we are unified, it's going to reveal some things to the outside watching world. That unity was not just important for you and I, for our church, but unity declared something to an outside watching world, looking in to see if Christians were different, to see if the church would make a difference. Jesus said that if we were unified, if we were one, that people would see that Jesus really was sent to earth from God, that God loved Jesus and that God loves them. Jesus tied this idea of love to unity, that if the outside world wanted to see that God was love, that the brothers and sisters of the church would find a way to unify. Now, this is super convicting to me. Is this convicting to you? As you look at these passages, as you look at these ideas that Paul and Jesus wanted the church to hold on to and grasp and integrate into their lives, do I pray for unity? Do you pray for unity? Jesus did. If Jesus prayed for unity, is that something that we should be praying for? Do I pray that my life will be so unified with Jesus that people outside looking at how I live my life will see Jesus when they see me? Do you and I pray for our church that we will be so unified in our vision and mission and approach to ministry that people will see how we interact with each other, even in the midst of disagreement, and say, wow. Jesus is real there. Jesus is powerful there. Look what Jesus is doing in their midst. Jesus says that unity in the church does that. It points people to God. Now, Paul goes on to tell us how to create unity. Unity is something that needs to be built and clung to. So let's continue, Philippians 2.2. Having the same Love. Love is something that is going to unify us. Love for Jesus, love for others. 
Now, I think there's a lot of really twisted definitions of love out there. I think this concept of love has been so skewed, so misrepresented in our world today that it's hard when people hear the word love from God, love from the church, we love you, to even understand what that means. It's like we have this perfect kind of concept that we start with of love. I have my little metal heart up here that's all perfect. You know, we think about what movies tell us and Hollywood tells us, what Disney tells us love should be. And then we start interacting with people. And people don't always treat us the way that we think we should be treated. And they do that in the name of love. And all of a sudden, our heart gets bent and tweaked and ripped and hurt and broken And our hearts and our concept of love ends up not looking at all like what we thought it should be. And this is why it is so important. It is imperative. It is central. It is key for us to make sure that we can reframe our perspective with what a true and accurate definition of love is. And we have one. We have one. And it becomes our job to embrace this and live this out and retrain our minds, retrain our actions, retrain our words to represent this love, not only in our own lives, not only in our marriages, not only in our parenting and our grandparenting and with our families, but to the outside watching world. This is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I think this is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture to help reframe a word that society has taken and twisted and corrupted. Because we don't have a good understanding of what love is anymore. And so when we claim that back, when we reshape what love looks like, and we commit to living this out and practicing this, love becomes powerful. It becomes something that can heal It becomes something that can bring change and hope and reframe identities. And when the church lives out this kind of love, it unifies us. It unifies our understanding of how people should be treated. It unifies us in how we're to work out conflict and disagreements. This is the kind of love where unity trumps competition. This is the kind of love that brings people together rather than separates them. This is the kind of love that surprises people and points them to God. Okay, but there's more. Paul keeps going here in Philippians 2, and he says, being one in spirit and of one mind. How in the world do we have the mind of Christ I mean, don't you wish it was like osmosis? Did you ever do that when you were a kid and you had to study for a test and you maybe just like put your chemistry book under your pillow, hoping that those chem formulas would like just while you were sleeping, just zap right into your brain for the test the next morning, right? Did that ever work for anyone? Yeah, no. Wouldn't that be nice if that worked? We could just kind of sleep right next to our Bible and that the mind of Christ would become ours. Gosh, 
It just doesn't work that way. In fact, it's a bit presumptuous to think that we can have the mind of Christ. We don't know how God thinks. His ways are not our ways. His, his ways of thinking are so much bigger than ours. But here's what we do know. We do know what Jesus thought about. We know what Jesus said was important to him. We know that Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, the oppressed to be set free. He came to forgive sin, to love the world, to seek and save the lost. We know this is what Jesus thought about. And if those were the thoughts of Jesus, if that was the mind of Jesus, then what would happen if we thought about those things? If those were the things that were important and central to us? Paul says it is so important, this idea of unity, that you're going to have to sacrifice for it. I mean, it's a big ask. It is a big ask to sacrifice and live this kind of way. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, then maybe you're off the hook here. Maybe you don't have to quite sacrifice like that. Maybe that's something that you're just not quite ready to do. But here's what Paul says. If you're willing to do that, if you're ready to do that, if you're all in, if you really are committed as a follower of Jesus, if you want joy in your life, if you want unexpected joy, we've got to get over ourselves. We have to get off the me train. We have to stop thinking so much about what I need, what I want, what I desire. We need to get the focus off me. And we have to start thinking about other people. Paul says this in Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Don't buy into the selfish lie. God wants us to unify. But this is very different from the voice of the world in our heads. It's all about growth, personal growth, my growth, what I need right now. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just going through a stage right now where I just need to focus on myself. I'm just kind of, I just really need to be selfish right now. I just need that right now. Self-help books, um, anyone who can tell you how to improve yourself. Let's just focus on me for a little bit. I need some me time. Now, this is hard because there truly is a balance of being responsible to yourself and responsible for yourself and then crossing that line and getting so focused on self that you cannot see beyond yourself. There is a balance there that we need to maintain. But selfishness, like anything else, can become a habit. Selfishness is so easy for us. It feels good. It's like putting on your comfy pair of slippers. It's like sinking into your favorite lazy boy chair. It just feels good to be selfish. And it's hard to take those slippers off. It's hard to get up out of that easy chair. Since the beginning of time with Adam and Eve as they ate the fruit that they were not supposed to eat but they wanted to have, people have been selfish. And it becomes a daily struggle for us every single day to fight those tendencies and to think about the needs of others. Paul tells us to value others 
and to find ways to care for them to help make us less selfish. What if we decided to try and do this more? What if we decided to do this today or this week? If we tried it to find ways to be more unified, to experience joy by being a little less selfish. What would that like to practice some of those things in our lives? Not to buy into the selfish lie, but to unify as God desires for us. What if making selfless decisions is something that God created for us to do, called us to do to protect us? to protect us from the influence of the world, to protect us from ourselves, to protect the church? What if this mandate for unity is something that we're supposed to buy in to, not just so that we can experience joy, but to protect the church? I want to protect the church. Do you want to protect the church Do you want to protect the church to preserve it for generation to generation to generation? So just like for its existence for thousands of years, we can look back 2,000 years later and say, I was involved in protecting something that was precious to the heart of God. I fought for unity to protect the church. There's lots of ways that we can do that. I, I thought of maybe a few. One of the most basic ones is to listen, and maybe this is one of the hardest ones for us. Do you ever find yourself in a conversation thinking about what you're going to say next when it's your turn to talk, rather than listening? Like, could you say back to that person what they just said? Have you listened in that way? Another one is to think about giving other people the spotlight. Rather than being so focused on saying, oh, do you know what I did today? Do you know what happened? Listen to me. Look at me that we share the spotlight and we're willing to give the spotlight. Look at what this person did today. Look at what my spouse did today. Look at what my kids did today. Look what my parents did today. Look what my coworker today. Share the spotlight. It makes you less selfish. It helps to bring unity amongst people. Say thank you. Saying thank you is such a simple way to, bring, to build camaraderie. It just connects you with people to say thank you. I saw what you did. I appreciated what you did. That was helpful to me. That was helpful to humanity. That was helpful to life. We built something good together here. Thank you for doing that. Saying thank you is powerful. It builds unity. It makes us less selfish. Give away some of your money. Giving something away that you have worked hard for, you earned it yours. Give it away. It'll make you less selfish. Give away some of your time. (gasps) We're so busy, we're so busy, we're so busy. I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. Give it away to someone. It will make you less selfish. Give rude people a pass. I mean, today, if you go out for lunch and you've got some rude people, instead of just like being rude back, instead of rolling your eyes, instead of snarling at them, Give them a pass. It will kind of free you. It will help make you less selfish. Initiate reaching out. And I love this one because sometimes, you know, I think we think, oh, I don't know. My mom hasn't called me. Does she love my sisters more than she loves me? Why isn't she calling me? I mean, we can play these games in our heads all the time. Like, why doesn't my neighbor ever talk to me? 
my neighbor just must hate me. I'm just, I, I just, I'll just stay out of his way. He must hate me. I mean, we play these mind games with ourselves. And if we want to build unity, we need to initiate connection. I need to call my mom. I need to go talk to my neighbor and initiate an opportunity to build unity. Now, disunity at the core is a heart problem. It, it begins inside of us. We've got to fight rather to wear that crown to be able to look for some common ground. Where is that common ground that we can find? And we have to ask questions when we're engaged, especially in conflict or discussion where things are starting to get heated. Is this comment going to bring division? Is this act that I'm about to do right now going to bring division? Is it going to break relationship? Is this post that I'm going to put on social media going to be an obstacle to someone coming to my church, to someone being part of our faith community, to bringing someone in to show them the incredible love of Jesus? Is this going to stop them from that? we got to discipline ourselves. we got to rein it in. We've got a responsibility. We've got to protect the church. We've got to point people to Jesus. This is big stuff that we signed up for. God is counting on you. God is counting on you. We're counting on each other. We got to do this together. We got to rally and do this together. Don't buy into the selfish lie. God wants us to unify especially in the church, especially in a culture that wants to tear the church apart, that wants to say we are crazy and we don't know what we're talking about and that our God is dead. We have to fight for unity. We have to fight for joy. We have to fight for love. These are the things that God gave the church. These are our gift. These are our treasure. These are worth protecting. These are worth fighting for. Are you in? Are you in? Are you going to join us? Are you going to join us in fighting for the unity of the church? Now, it doesn't mean you can't have a different opinion about something. When I was in college, I spent some time in Greece. And while I was there, I met a man named Dimitri. He was our team leader. And I felt like I was walking with a modern-day Paul. He was amazing. He was passionate about Jesus. He was an incredible evangelist. He would go to places in Greece where it was against the law to proselytize, to tell people about Jesus, and he would boldly proclaim Jesus in the middle of the square, in the middle of the street, We were all kind of like, are we going to jail, Dimitri? He was incredible to watch him and his passion. He was so motivating to us. It was such a blessing. He was such a teacher to us. And we would go into some places, some faith communities that had a very different understanding of faith when we were in Greece. And Dimitri would begin to engage those leaders and talk about who Jesus was and talk about the Bible and how we had access to Jesus. And they, in the very beautiful and awesome Greek way, would get very intense. They would talk loud and they would argue and they would use their hands and their gestures. And all of us were like, are we going to make it out of here alive? But then after they debated and after they talked and after they brought their points together, Dimitri would always end the conversation with saying, "Uh, here we disagree, but here, where can we agree? Where can we find common ground? For you are my brother. And Dimitri would lay out a few things that they all agreed on. And he would put his arm around them. They would shake hands. They would smile. And they would laugh. And they would part ways. And there was not a brokenness in relationship. 
even with a different mindset about what they believed in and what they thought was important. It's powerful. It is powerful when you are committed to unity. It moves relationships forward. It brings God into the midst. Who do you think? For you, as a follower of Jesus, even though maybe you completely disagree on your approach to life, maybe you disagree on your politics, maybe you disagree on any variety of issues that are important to you, that at the end of the discussion, you could shake hands with that person. You could slap them on the back. You could maybe even sit down and have coffee with them and say, we disagree here, but here is where we agree. Here is where we have unity. Could you leave that conversation? Could you leave that person that you are so against? Could you leave that person in unity without broken relationship, with the relationship intact? Don't buy into the selfish lie. God wants us to unify. God, we come before you this morning with grateful hearts that we gather as brothers and sisters this morning so freely. Um, Jesus, thank you um, that you are a good and mighty and gracious God. Thank you for the example that you set us. Jesus, we thank you for these words of life and hope and truth. And God, we pray We ask, we invite you by the power of your spirit to do a work in our hearts and in our lives. And those people that just get under our skin, those people that make us so angry, those people that we want to argue and fight with, Jesus, would you help us to hold our tongues? Would you help us to find ways to find common ground? Jesus, would you fill us with your joy? Would you allow us to experience joy when we bring unity? Would we be able to see that firsthand? And Jesus, would you help us to buy into the mission to protect the church, to point people to God through the power of unity? We love you, and we bless your holy and mighty name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for being here today, friends. The prayer room is going to be open today, so if you would like prayer for something before you head out, we would very much love to pray with you. Uh, there also is the Philippians books in the lobby that are available, so if you haven't picked one of those up, please feel free to do that, and you can jump in on our Philippians series. It's definitely not too late to do that. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a wonderful day.